0: This morning we're picking back up in Genesis. Can you guess what series it is? God and man, right? Mm -hmm. The title of the message for Genesis chapter 37 is Joseph had a dream. I put had a dream in parentheses because I want to emphasize Joseph. Not that he had a dream, not the dreams being the most important picture of the story, but it's Joseph had a dream we're going to uh, look at joseph now genesis switches gears goes from jacob to joseph uh next chapter chapter 38 takes a uh, a detour as we'll see but then we'll be back following joseph um, and his brothers and his family uh, and really the future of israel um, for the next uh, 13 chapters for the remainder but i read a couple quotes this week I wasn't searching for quotes, it was just in my devotionals with Oswald Chambers, and at the bottom they have these additional quotes from other works that he's written. And I'm going to read these three quotes to you. The first one says, Crisis reveals character. When we are put to test, the hidden resources of our character are revealed exactly. Crisis reveals character. When we, put, when we are put to the test, the hidden resources of our character are revealed exactly. And where put the pressure comes on, what comes out? Can't fake that. And you fake everything else when it's easy. Jesus Christ can afford to be misunderstood. We cannot. Our weakness lies in always wanting to vindicate ourselves. That Jesus was misunderstood all the time. Treated poorly. And yet as a sheep before his shears is silent, so is he. But we, when we get pushed, we get prodded, we get spoken evil of, something bad is done to us. What do we do? We seek revenge. We seek to get people back. I was watching a movie last night with my wife, this wacky comedy from the eighties. In the beginning, this little guy gets tripped up by a big guy into, uh, and he hurts himself. At the end of the movie, the little guy is able to trip the big guy and he falls in the mud. And he's kind of like, see, you got you back, you know, it comes back on you. But as Christians, that's not the way we're supposed to be. We don't need to vindicate ourselves. We don't need to prove ourselves when someone is trying to uh, slander us or hurt us. Third quote, both nations and individuals have tried Christianity and abandoned it. I don't think we can attest that for America. America's tried Christianity and they've abandoned it because it has been found too difficult. Not untrue, but that it was too hard. But no man has ever gone through the crisis of deliberately making Jesus Lord and found him to be a failure. And isn't that a hard truth? People give up on Christianity left and right, because they found it too hard, and they have to wonder, did they deliberately make Jesus the one that they were seeking after? Because when we do, yeah, the way is narrow. The way is hard and few there are that find it. He says, but God will never fail us. People will fail you. The church will fail you. I will and have failed you, but God won't. And God has never failed me. But as we get started with this trek through Joseph's life, I have to ask, what are you and I going through? What are you going through? Because as we'll see, as you probably know, Joseph's a famous story. He goes through and he went through a lot. So what are you going through? Do you know what God's purpose and plan is for your life in general? Maybe God's revealed that to you in some way already. So we'll see. God begins to give Joseph dreams even now. And we'll see how that plays out in his life as we get through the rest of Genesis. But maybe God's revealed it to you. Maybe not through a dream, Maybe through reading of the word. Maybe as you begin to seek him and pray him, you begin to identify with things in the scripture and say, man, you know, that's the life I want to live. I want to live a life that's sold out like that. That's willing to give up and go or to serve or to be quiet and not be famous, but to serve the Lord in my family, in my home. Maybe God's given you a specific word for it. Joseph didn't have the Bible. Joseph didn't have any scripture. Joseph had the stories passed down from generation to generation, faithfully telling him of Adam and Eve, Cain, Abel, and Noah, and he knew about his grandfather Abraham. I'm sorry, his grandfather Isaac, his great grandfather Abraham, and his dad Jacob, and he knew what God did in their lives. But he didn't have the Bible. They're still writing the first book of the Bible, let alone the other sixty-five. But as with Joseph, how do you think God's going to get your dreams to come true or get you to where you need to be? You know the Bible says if you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart, right? That the things that you truly desire in life, God is going to give you if you just delight in Him and not strive and try and get and vindicate yourself and prove yourself worthy. But how is God going to get you where you need to be? So often we think of just physically. I'm in Ohio and I need to get to Kentucky. How is God going to get me there? Well, uh, get on a Greyhound. What about mentally or emotionally? Maybe there's things the way you think, the way you feel. Is not where God wants you to be in life. And what's it going to take for you to change your mind? More than that, what's it going to take to change your heart? A lot of times it takes hard things to change our hearts. Friend and I, I'm going to put it on recording and I'm going to say it right now. I'm probably, I don't know if I'm going to get through it or not. Friend and I are going to start doing uh, a workout thing tomorrow. I'm, I'm psyched going into it right now, but my back's been going out a little bit lately and I'm kind of like, oh, what's going to happen? I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to spend this hour at night doing this instead of that. I hope I make it through, but if I do, if I, if I want to lose some weight and get in better shape, I'm going to have to go through a hard thing. And I'm telling you right now, I might not make it. I might say, you know what? I'm taking that verse to heart, you know, bodily exercise profits little, but godliness (laughs) profits much, so to speak. So that's what I've been clinging to. I'm gonna try and get, I I can't be like this anymore, so I kind of need to do something about it. So check in on me. But same thing with us emotionally and mentally. God might let you go through a breakdown. God might let everything that you depend on emotionally and mentally be taken away, That you kind of have to go through detox in a way and get rid of that addiction, even if it's not a bad thing, if you're addicted to it other than God. What about spiritually? Maybe you're physically in a good spot. Maybe mentally and emotionally you're healthy and sound and no one would say you're crazy or uh, disturbed or have some issues in your past. Maybe you don't have anything like that, but spiritually you're not growing. You're not gaining ground. You're standing still. You're drifting back. Or you're just, you know, Lord, I'm doing everything I, I I think I know I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to church. I'm reading the Bible. I'm fellowshipping. Sharing my faith with others. But there's something missing. Maybe God would have you be somewhere else somewhere else maybe there maybe you're not as mentally and emotionally sound as you need to be maybe there's something in your heart that has to be broken for you to go i can't stand living like this anymore i need to go take care of this thing that i see and when god calls you and god gives you a plan and a purpose how do you think he's going to get you there do you think it's going to be just a simple walk in the park You know, you got a bluebird on your shoulder and you're singing that tune. But as we've gone through Genesis, we need to remember that we're not in the garden anymore. And when God calls us to go somewhere, calls us to change our attitude, our beliefs. I believed different things when I got saved than I believe now. And a lot of them I believe the same things I believed then as I believe now. But they have a, a whole new meaning in a sense, a whole new depth, a whole new simplicity that I missed out on then and God had to bring me through things. But it wasn't always through a garden experience. A lot of times it was through a wilderness. We've seen Jesus' life and Paul's and others. Abraham and people that we've seen had to go through hard times to get to be where God wanted them to be. And I actually read this this morning. in Psalm 105, 16 through 24. And it says... Moreover, God called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them. Well, the nation wasn't really existed yet, so God is, in a sense, talking about before the whole nation, but also before his family. It says, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that God's word came to pass, The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house. Talking about Pharaoh and ruler of all of his possessions. To bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. So See, Joseph comes over all of Egypt except for Pharaoh. Israel, who also came into Egypt, and Jacob, who dwelt in the land of Ham. God increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. That the way God prepared Israel and even created Israel and strengthened them, built them up, was by putting Joseph ahead of them. By putting a famine in the land where they would have to be dependent on Egypt's provisions. And God would use that lush land to Build a nation that was stronger than their enemies. They wouldn't get, have gotten stronger and bigger and healthier and more children if they were out there in the wilderness. They needed to be in that place, that safe place for a season. And even then, when God takes them out of Egypt, they end up in slavery for a long time. Hundreds of years. But God had a plan in it and a purpose in it. How can God have a plan in slavery? He's got to use the tough things of this world, the sinful state of this world, to get us through heaven. You know, it's that, like can a camel go through an eye of a needle? The way God works, the way he prepares his people, the way he gets them to where we need to be, gets us to where we need to be, It's truly not the way we'd want it sometimes, and probably if we're honest and truly following Him all the time. At least at first. At least at first, we don't want to sell our stuff and have to move or have to pack things up again. But you know what? If you don't do it, you're not going to get to where you need to be. And as you begin to do it and obey Him, it should hopefully become a joy, and we should let it become a joy. But Joseph has to go through more hardship, as we'll see, more betrayal, more false accusations than I think any of us will ever experience. And he has to go through all of them. I think even each of one of those is probably more than any of us would ever experience. The way his brothers betray him, the way the people forget him in prison, the way Potiphar's life accuses him of things. The way even the, just his dad doesn't even believe him in the beginning. Uh, I don't know that we've ever had to go through one of those, let all of them. But he has to, because it was necessary. It was required for God to accomplish God's perfect will in not only Joseph's life, but also for the nation of Israel, also for Jesus to come one day, and also for the whole world to be able to be saved. How would Israel become a nation if God didn't bring Joseph ahead? How would God get Joseph to Egypt and get his brothers in the right spot and his family in the right spot to turn to him? Because I believe truthfully that the bigger the trial, the more important the destination. I'll repeat it. The bigger the trial, the more important the destination. Because if it was easy, everyone would do it. And everyone would get it. A lot of people don't like rich people these days, or any day, probably throughout all history. Probably because we envy them. And some of them, yes, have gotten it through design silent skiing, but others, I guarantee, have worked day and night, made sacrifices, done the necessary things to get where they are in life, and they've earned it. And they have it because they got up off the couch and they did it. You and I want to look like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. We're gonna to have to get up at two in the morning and eat thirty-five chicken breasts a day and work out left and right and give up everything else to work out. I'm watching the show about the world, the world strongman like heavy lift guys and the things that they have to do. Like, I think any one of us could do that if we, you know, given obviously your body has different limitations and different propensities and things. But for most things. And I think that's what's great about living in America, at least in the past, was, man, you want something? You work for it? You could get it. But in the spiritual realm, we just can't name it and claim it. We need to let God give it. And the way we let Him give it is by bowing down. Because so if we remember how Genesis started, there was a promise of a Messiah to come, when Eve fell and now at the end of the beginning, the end of the beginning book, we see a type of Christ. We see a man who becomes a picture of the Messiah to come. He didn't know that. I don't think Joseph, maybe didn't even think any of that through all this, but looking back on it, it's somewhat easy to see that he would save the nation. He would feed them. He would rule over his brethren and he would bring them into his kingdom. And he would sit at the right hand of the ruler. But this man, Joseph, he was not the Messiah to come. He was just a beacon to light the way. And poor Joseph had no idea how big this plan God had for him was. And yet when it was all over and he gets to heaven, I'm sure he went, wow, Lord, thank you. And I think Joseph, being a better man than I, I said thank you a way earlier. And Lord, this morning as we go through trials and and struggles and not knowing what to do at different times in life or not knowing what's going on or why or how, and we may never know why. You may never say this is why. I don't know if you ever said, Joseph, I'm making you a picture of my son to come. I don't know if you ever understood that connection. But you did. And he's blessed people throughout all history. You've blessed them with this picture. God, we just pray for the churches in the area and really all over. It's your church and our friends and our family, God, and all the things that they're going through, God. Would you lift them up and draw them to you and the people that are around and going through things themselves, people who know you or don't know you and haven't, are in those places we're talking about. God, get them to where you need them to be. Use us, we pray, and help us to not so much ask why, but say thank you. So thank you, Lord. We count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Help us to do that, God. That is impossible in our flesh. We love you, Lord. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read the first 11 verses of Genesis 37 together. And that was a long intro, so we'll see how we get through this today. But verse 1 says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilha and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And so he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then, behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers. And he said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And so he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Hello, my son, my son staring at me, but it says that this was Jacob dwelling in the land where his father was a stranger, the land of Canaan. This was a new place. This was separate to where uh, his dad had wandered and gained wealth and notoriety. So he was not living under any preconceived notions, good or bad or known to the people. This was, he had gone back and this is where still the promised land where he was supposed to be. Um, but he was making a, a, a land for himself. A name for himself. It's important, like Romans fifteen twenty says, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. And I think that that's hard in our day and age. Man, the gospel's gone out to all of America. Does that mean we should stop making churches and go somewhere else? I don't know. I don't think so. I think God's still going to do something. But man, you don't want to come in and, and take someone else's name and steal sheep and try and build your empire in someone else, because it's not your thing. Just go where God would have you go and do what he would have you do. But this land of Canaan, the Canaan just means low land. Low land. So it was on the west side between the Mediterranean and then Jordan. And it was this uh, area where, they, uh, where lots of people were and still are. Uh, Canaan was also, uh, it was from the fourth son of Ham, the progenitor of the Phoenicians and the various nations of people the seacoast of Palestine. The land west of the Jordan, people by descendants of Canaan, subsequently conquered by the Israelites under Joshua. So we talk about Palestine today. Palestine is is uh, is was really a, a Roman name for the region. Um, uh, the Philistines were from this area. The Phoenicians in history, and there's this whole argument today. Well, it's not the Israelites' land; it's it's their land. Well, and it's it's not really the same. It's not the same people, and it's the same people. It's it's complicated. But the point is that. Yeah, there were other people there before the Israelites came in, but God gave them this land. And that's why there's such a rift today. That's why the world doesn't like Israel and wants them out of there because God gave them that land. The Israelites didn't come in out of self will. It was because God told them to go there. So if God tells you to go somewhere and have your family there and live there and do it there, there's gonna be opposition. But if it's where God truly has you, then no, you're not stealing anything from anyone. You're not taking anyone else's fame or fortune. You're just where God wants you to be. And if they're on God's side and you're on God's side, well, guess what? You can work together. And you should want to. But it also uh, meant merchant or trader. So there's people, merchants, traders, shepherds, other peoples in this area. Modern day Israel, like we said. But it says that this is the history of Jacob. That the story of Genesis and Jacob ends here. His history ends here. So this is it. This is his history. This is his story. And I like this as history because it's not saying that he was a perfect man. It's not saying that he was totally righteous. just saying this is the story of Jacob. And now we're transitioning to the story of Joseph. We'll still see Jacob again. But again, the story is transitioned and I think it's interesting that they put that the first part of verse two. uh, I think that perhaps should be the end of first one, but I digress. It says Joseph, he was 17 years old. Do you remember what you were doing when you were 17? I don't want to remember totally what I was doing when I was 17, but I do know that I'd started driving then, independent. I remember looking over and go, wow, my mom's not in the car with me. I can drive and do what I want. But Remember Joseph's name means Jehovah has added. Jehovah has added. He was the eldest son of Jacob by Rachel. That Rachel had two sons, Jacob and then Benjamin. And Benjamin died at birth. I mean, not Benjamin, I'm sorry. Rachel died at Benjamin's birth. Uh, That would be very incorrect. But Joseph was out with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. They were older. There was Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And he saw that these guys were up to no good. And like the fresh prince of Bel Air, he got in some trouble. Some guys were up to no good, but sincerely, he saw them doing that. And what did he do? He went home and he kind of ratted on him. He said, dad, Bill and Zippa's sons. Dan, that's how I got an action. My brothers, they were, they weren't being good today. They were out there. They were doing what he told them not to do. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And maybe even they were doing something bad and wrong. And it says that Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. partly because he was an old man and he had him. And it's it's sweet to have children now. Uh, you know, my youngest was just born. And in some way, it's kind of like he's the last one. He's the baby of the family. So and the babies get treated a little bit differently sometimes. For better or for worse. Because, you know, it's the last one. It's the last time you're going to have a little baby that tiny. And moving around and kicking. And, you know, it's just is what it is. But, Jacob loved Joseph more in sort of a bad way. He favored him. He favored him and brothers, brothers, and again because it was Rachel. All the other guy all the other sons were sons of some other woman. One he didn't want to marry but had to marry, two that were just given, you know, whatever. We talked about all that. But then there was the sons of Rachel that he was the one, the the woman he loved. And she was gone and Joseph maybe reminded him of her. So he makes them this special coat, this tunic of many colors. Or, you know, a lot of times the kids, we have pictures, they, they draw it as a rainbow. It might not have been a rainbow. It might have just been nice and fancy and colored as opposed to just the normal brown or whatever else they might wear, the white. You know, it, it had some extra thing to it. And it even has this connotation of management or blue collar or something that, you know, it's not a Carhartt overalls, you know. It's a, it's a shirt from Nordstrom or something. You know, you're going to wear it to a business meeting you're not you know you're not going to be sweating all day in it and laboring in it and so that obviously put his uh brother's ease but we think about jesus right like jesus has a robe in heaven we're given robes the priests were to wear a linen a different outfit to separate them and the you know it wasn't the the priests weren't to sweat in it the priests weren't to Labor hard, it was meant to be breathable fabric. But when they saw this and the the treatment of their dad upon him, they hated him. They didn't like him to begin with. He was a goody two shoes, he was telling on them, he wasn't out there doing what they were doing. Their secrets weren't safe with Joseph, just his very goodness convicted them. And if you've ever been, you know, I remember not being a Christian and being around somebody at work who I knew was a Christian, and even went to school with her sister when I went to a Christian school as a kid, and just being around her, like she was nice, but it wasn't like mean to her anything. But it just, you just kind of got, uh, you know, tight. Like it was just, you just were convicted. And that's what these guys hear, and says they could not speak peacefully to him. everything they said to him, they were ripping on him. And it wasn't like when guys rip on each other, it's fun. But it, they really didn't like him. They made fun of him. They couldn't speak nice to him. Joseph said, hey guys, could you pass the milk? No. Get it yourself, Joseph. You know, there's they hated him. So he has the he's out with them shepherding. You know, they're probably in their twenties or thirties, or maybe even, you know, they're just older than him. And he has this dream about sheaves of wheat. You know, that they're out there in the field. They're shepherds, but they're, you know, they're talking about getting wheat and putting bundles of wheat together. That's interesting. Because we'll see later what he had to do in uh, Egypt, and they wanted sacks of grain, right? And he's having this dream about wheat, and they're all making bundles of wheat together at the harvest. And it says that his stood up. (laughs) I've never seen grass, but it ain't just going to stand up on its own. Um, And the others bowed down to it. And I think when Joseph's telling him, he's like, hey, guys, I had this dream. You know what? We were getting wheat together in the field, and your stuff bowed down to mine. Can you check it out? Bow down to me. I think he was like, guys, I had this dream. It wasn't like any other dream I've had before in my life. And all of a sudden, we're we're out there, we're harvesting. My wheat gets up, and your wheat bows down to it. Can you believe that? This is amazing. And they hate him for it. What, are we going to bow down to you? You're going to rule over us? You're going to have dominion over us, Joseph? And it's interesting that this is the dream he has. Jesus talks about the last times, about at the end, you know, that uh, there's wheat. He tells a parable about wheat. And the enemy comes in and sows tares among the wheat. And he tells them not to rip it up until the harvest. Because otherwise, if you take up the tares now, it might rip up the wheat. Uh, the harvest is great and plentiful. And he talks about his servants reaping it up in the, last, in the, in the end. And it's interesting that the story about wheat, like I said, mentioned that. That's what they're going to be dependent on. The famine's going to come and it's going to affect their grain and their wheat and their crops about Jesus was exalted among his brethren, among the others. He was a man like us, and yet he was God. He was a man, and he was lifted up to a cross by his fellow Jewish people. And they say to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Shall you indeed have dominion over us? These words mean to become king or queen, to reign, to counsel, to advise, to rule, to have dominion, and to exercise that authority. They knew right away what it meant. They knew right away. The second to littlest brother is going to reign over all of us and we're going to bow down to you? Joseph, we hate you. Joseph, we want nothing to do with you. You're here because Dad's got you here. Dad loves you. He gives you that coat. You're not reigning over us. You're not telling me what to do. You can tell on us, but that's not going to change what I'm going to do. They hated him even more. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, 6, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and they turn and tear you in pieces. We'll see in a minute what his brothers want to do to him. And not that I don't think Joseph wasn't supposed to tell them these dreams. But when we tell people who don't understand the will of God or don't love God or even are outright hostile to God, we need to be careful and wise how we share the gospel with them, how we share our lives with them. And there may come a time that we do need to do that, and they will still tear us. But we want to treat it with respect. Just like I wouldn't give my wife's wedding ring to a bulldog to play with or a pig to wear. In the same way, the beautiful things that God shows you and I, sometimes we need to keep them close to our chest and share them with just a few people that we trust and not get advice from the people who hate us. But the first dream he told just to his brothers and the second he told to his brothers, then his father. And the second one was about the sun, the moon and the 11 stars. Now it's left earth and he's having a dream about the heavens. He's having a dream about the light that rules the day and the night and all the stars and the things that they would see every night. It's one thing I love about Montana is being so far from big cities that the sky is so bright at night with stars. Think we lose some of that connotation if you're living in a city. He says they bowed down to him; that these, everything bowed down to his. And even Jacob rebukes him. This he's like Joseph, get your head out of the clouds. Who do you think you are? That even all heavens bow down to you? This isn't just we Joseph; it's gone to your head. Maybe this coat I made you, uh, just because you're wearing the the boss coat, doesn't mean you're the boss. And this word, bow down, means to depress, to bow down, to prostrate oneself before someone superior, before God in worship, or even before false gods or before an angel. You know that you know when you fall down in worship, it's not just you kind of shake your hand or bend the knee. It's you're flat out, face down, on the ground. I am nothing. You are everything. And if you have time, make time to worship God in, at home, in the quiet, and have opportunity to do that. Don't do that in front of other people. What reason are you doing that for in other people? But if you do it in the quiet, and because I believe when you start to see God for who He is and what He's done in your life, sometimes you're just compelled to do that. to bow down, to be back in the dirt from where you and I came. And bowing, as I understand, in certain cultures, there's a polite bow. There's a bow where you keep an eye on the person, like if you're to bow before your enemy in a match. Then there's also a complete bow all the way down of total surrender. And the further you bow down, the more you're paying homage. So this wasn't a little bow. This was a complete bow. It said that his brothers envied him. They hated him. And now they envied him. He's having these magnanimous dreams. I think sometimes deep down they knew there was anything wrong with the dream. And that's why they envied him like, we're not getting these amazing dreams. No one's bowing down to us. We're just the middle brothers. We're overlooked, and this is it. This is our life. We're out here in the middle of nowhere doing this. And Matthew twenty-seven eighteen says, "For they knew that they, for he knew that they'd handed him over because of envy." This is Pilate. Pilate knew that the reason why the Jews handed Jesus over because they envied him. Because they envied him. And says here that Jacob kept it in mind even though he kind of rebuked him, he didn't forget about it. He kind of held on to it. He's like, what is this about? Remember, his mom's not around anymore. Joseph doesn't have his mom. His dad is probably his world to him. And it reminds me of Luke 2.19. He says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart when the angels and the shepherds came. And then after they found Jesus in the temple, he said, it must be about my father's business. It says in Luke Luke 2.51, Uh, his mother kept all these things in her heart. I mean, we'll see things God is doing in others and our children. We should keep them to heart. We should not always pass such quick judgment on the things we begin to see God do in others and really ponder them and consider them and say, hmm, this seems bigger than what it is right now. And I don't understand it, so I need to hang on to it. Let's go on, verse 12 through 24. It says, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And so he said to them, Here I am. And then he said to them, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring, uh, bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, and I, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, they knew it was him. <laughs> Even before he came near him, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, Some wild beasts has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered Joseph out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood and cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. And so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And I just want to touch on dreams again. Uh, again, you know, God may give you and I dreams, but I think majority of the time, like the Bible says, a dream comes through the multitude of business. That a lot of times dreams is just a mental dump of all the things we thought about and seen and been worried about, and it just kind of, our brain pff, dumps it out. But sometimes you might get a strange dream. Take it to the Lord. There might be, There might be something in it for you to learn. I think even in regular dreams, God can use it to reveal what you're worried about. But don't place such a high thing on dreams. God's given us his word, and his word is the most important thing. His word should interpret our dreams, but we should not to follow our dreams in that sense. But they went to Shechem. This is northwest of the Dead Sea. And I really think they wanted away from Joseph. Joseph's not with them. Joseph's back with his dad. His brothers go out again to take care of the flocks, and Joseph's not with them. I think Joseph knew that. Perhaps, you know, maybe I'm reading into it, but Jacob sends Joseph to check up on them. He's like, Joseph, are not your brothers out in the fields right now with the sheep? Like, go out there with them. (laughs) You can still go keep an eye on them. I know the things haven't been good with them lately, but get out there, Joseph. And again, sending them to go check up on them and say, tell me what they're doing. Well, you know, Jacob doesn't trust his sons. Jacob's got, you know, he's older. He's not out, excuse me, he's not out there able to take care of things. His sons are basically running the business, so to speak. But Joseph, I don't trust him. You trust you. Go tell, them what, go tell them what's going on. But look at this. His dream has already come true and starting to come true. His dad has just put him in more authority over his brothers. But this dream is already fleshing out. And even in a sense, before the dream happened, Joseph was there because Joseph was already open to the things of God. He was already a step above his brothers, so to speak, because he was listening to God. He was seeking God. He was a godly young man, and that automatically put him above his brothers. So they go to Dothan, and there's actually Dothan in Alabama. That's not where they go. It's a little bit further north. It means two wells. But again, I don't know that they had to tell their dad where they were going, but they weren't where they were supposed to be. I don't know if they were ever supposed you know, if they moved, they said, Dad, we're going here and here. But they weren't where they said they'd be. Maybe it was just because the feeding wasn't going to check them, or maybe just because they were like, let's just go over here instead. You know, we're our own men. We're going to do our own thing. And as soon as these brothers saw him on the horizon, they conspired to kill him. Right away, they premeditated, hey, here comes the dreamer. I can't stand him anymore. Let's just kill him. We'll get rid of him. We'll make it look like he's dead, and we'll be done with him forever. We're so far away. Dad doesn't know where we are. Dad thinks we're in Shechem. We're in Dothan. No one's ever gonna find out. You think about these things that happen, these murders that happen, that people aren't found for years. They're buried out in the wilderness, and nowadays it's harder to get away with it, thankfully. But they say, "Kill him." Remember, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. That was just. Their, uh, you know, their uncle, right? Brother. Yeah. Dad's brother. Yeah. Their uncle. <laughs> I do Uh, I'm, my brain's not working today. Does it ever, but their uncle wanted to kill their dad and now they want to kill their brother. It's the same thing. It's not a generational curse. It's, man, these people need forgiveness Need Jesus. They say, look, this dreamer is coming, mocking him. This word dreamer, I think, is interesting because obviously it could mean uh, a master of dreams, uh, a noun of relationship for characterization there, but it can mean owner, husband, lord, citizens, inhabitants, rulers. It's interesting. And we, when they say, we shall see what will become of his dreams. like He's got all these dreams, but guess what? We're going to kill him. We're going to snuff him out. And when Joseph goes to the grave, so do his dreams. But it's true. They were prophesying, I think, like Ananias or Caiaphas, and They said uh, they are going to see his dreams. They will see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben, his brother, didn't want to kill him. And so he either delivers them out of his hands physically, takes them out of his hands when he shows up, or he gets them to conspire something else and you know metaphorically delivers them from his hands. But Reuben doesn't want anything to do with this. Reuben's, uh, you know, he's the firstborn, But obviously, he doesn't have all the rights with his brothers. They respect him a little bit, but not everything. But they did listen to him for Joseph's sake. And really, I think that was the Lord. The Lord used Reuben here. And Reuben really, he didn't even want to put him in the pit. Reuben was wise and trickster and cunning enough to say, No, no, don't kill him. Let's put him in a pit and we'll figure out what to do with him. We'll sell him. We'll do something else with him. But don't kill him. Put him in a pit. He's our brother. Should we, should we do this? But he was only saying that just so that he'd have an opportunity later to rescue Joseph, bring him home, and get him away from his brothers. But at this point, can you believe that God is using all of this? If you were standing there, would you say, yeah, this is exactly what God had intended. And I don't know if it's exactly what God intended, but God used it. And this is the way God was going to get Joseph down there says that they stripped off his coat, this special coat, this beautiful coat that his dad made him. The thing that they hated and they envied. The symbol of his position and his favor with his father. They rip it off. They tear it. They cut it. I'm sure they enjoyed mauling it, pretending an animal was it. And they dipped it in blood to make it look like he had died. And they put him in a pit that was empty and there was no water. Joseph could have died in there. It's dry and hot. And I think about Jesus going into the grave into uh, a place where it's dry and hot to preach liberty to the captives. Let's go on. I know uh, getting a little long, I'm going to get a little long on the tooth, but let's try and get through this chapter. Verse 25 says, And they sat down to eat a meal, and they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm and myrrh, Interesting, again, carrying spices just like the wise men, right? On their way to carry them down to Egypt. And so Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let us let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then uh, Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. It, interesting, too, that's the Ishmaelites, right? At just a, a couple generations separated, they're selling him to him for 20 shekels of silver. So, not too much money, a slave's wage. And they took Joseph to Egypt. You know, Joseph 17, a young, strapping man, I'm sure, that they, they thought they could use him well as a slave. And Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brother and said, The lad is no more. And I, where shall I go? And so they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in blood. Then they sent the tunic in many colors and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? Not our brother Joseph's. Do you know whether it's your son's or not? The separation with them. And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. No, without a doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in the morning." In mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and captain of the guard. And when Jesus died on the cross, did his dad not rip his robes that covered him, rip the veil that covered the holy place, and tore it, and revealed himself? But it says that they put Joseph in the pit, they sat down to have a meal. They wanted to kill their brother. They threw him in a pit. What's for lunch? What are you cooking up over there? Oh, that looks delicious. Mm, good. Ah, yeah, yeah. Imagine Joseph in the pit, hearing them cooking and making and the smell. Perhaps if, I don't know how close they were to him, but for imagination's sake. And Judah, the fourth son, the same mom as Reuben of Leah, gets a bright idea. Their anger is quelling down a little bit. Maybe they're a little hangry and now they've eaten and their mind starts to work again. He says, why are we going to kill him? We can do something even better than killing him. We can sell him. That way he'll be like he's dead to us. He'll be gone. We'll never see him again. We won't have the blood on our hands of killing our own brother. And we'll have some money in our pockets. Judah, that's fantastic. Let's do it. You know, Cain and Abel killing their brother. Esau changed his mind didn't kill his brother, right? So they have some barely there morality. Why should we kill him? He's our brother. We can't do that. We can't kill him, but let's get rid of him. Yeah. Killing your brother is definitely immoral, but selling him is okay. Is that the right decision, guys? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? So many people think that they're a good person because they didn't do... One wicked thing, and they chose another wicked thing, and instead, doesn't make you good. Oh, well, we're sleeping together and living together, but we love each other, we're faithful to each other. Doesn't change what you're doing, doesn't mean you're married. So they sold him, and it reminds me of Jesus being sold by Judas for a slave's, wife, slave's price. And these, uh, Ishmaelite traders took Joseph to Egypt. This was God's bus ride to where Joseph wanted to go. Or where he wanted Joseph to go, rather. Can you imagine Joseph? Man, You go out to check on your brothers. All this happens. Your coat gets ripped and torn. Your brothers want to kill you. And then they fight over you. They throw you in a pit. And then they're pulling you out. And you don't know what they're going to do. And you see them changing money. And there's a caravan there. And they're tying you up and putting you in there. You're being dragged away. I think Joseph was quiet. I, I don't know. Guys, what are you doing? Judah, no! No! I'm your brother! What, you, Guys, what are you doing? I don't know if he was gagged, bound, I don't know. But can you imagine? Do you think he cried himself to sleep that night? Do you think he looked up at the stars as he's on that caravan? Thought about his dream? God, he gave me this dream. I don't see him complaining, but I don't know. And Jacob's heart was broken so much. He thought he would die. He believed the story that his his sons had told him. And to back up one more, sorry, that Reuben wasn't around for this conversation. He said he went back to the pit and Joseph wasn't there. He comes back. He's like, what do you, what's happened? What am I going to do? Reuben was upset. When they get home, Reuben doesn't fess up. Reuben covers up for his brothers. So even though Reuben didn't do the deed, he was still guilty. Can you imagine living with that? His other brothers, probably was a little bit easier for them to to stomach it and and force it down. But Reuben, Reuben had to fight his conscience. But his dad was so broken hearted, he lost Rachel. Benjamin's a little boy. Now Joseph's gone. He doesn't imagine that his dishonest sons could have done this. It says without a doubt he believed their deception and his family is full of deception. The Midianites, they didn't keep Joseph. They only profited off of him. And I think about those who used Jesus for profit, who spread the gospel to make a buck or spread a false gospel in Jesus' name to get their private jet. But it says that they sold him to Potiphar, captain of Pharaoh's guard. This man was the head of the secret service. He was the executioner. He was Pharaoh's bodyguard. And I think it's interesting given that Joseph's in jail with the, 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 the cook later and the, the, guy, the wine taster and that this guy was, technically could have been the head cook, the head butcher who actually killed the animal Pharaoh. He was, it was this job that you are right there with Pharaoh. You're making sure he's safe. And especially in that day, you want to make sure that his food is not poisoned. But in just a short amount of time, we see Joseph going from being a dreamer in the field to being one step away from the most powerful man on earth. In the span of I don't know how many days or hours, he's gone from being at home with his dad, being told to go out to the field, checking on his brothers, to being in the house of the guard of the most powerful man on earth. A man that others would in Egypt worship as a God. He was a slave, he wasn't there as a guest, but God had made him a guest in Pharaoh's house. Talk about, you know, he'd been set for just the time as these, right? That this is the time in the world and in politics and in all the affairs that were going on, that God had set for Joseph to be there at the right place at the right time in a way he didn't like and didn't understand, I bet this is how God was going to orchestrate. You think about Jesus, the time that Jesus came, Rome was ruling the world. There was a language, Latin, there were roads. The gospel could go out to the entire world at that time that it couldn't have before. And I think about our time, the way the gospel is able to go out and in fact the way the world is coming together in a way it had never come before. And so I know that that means that the end is near. There's going to be a false ruler, but I think that also means that more importantly, we can look up for a day of redemption draws nigh because now is more perfect than ever for Jesus to come back. And although Joseph was a slave, his story isn't over yet. There's still 11 more chapters, or 12 more chapters and 11 are for Joseph. But as we close, what has happened in your life in my life? What has happened to get you to this very day in this place what situations are you currently in or have been in and have been allowed to go through? And for me, my parents got divorced when I was a kid. And I didn't understand at the time. But I remember after getting saved, God gave me Genesis 50-20 that although it was meant for evil, not that my dad meant evil for me, you know but obviously that the enemy was trying to break up our family, and he did. God meant it for good. And that healed me of a lot of things. And I know that God has saved me and saved my family and allowed... Me to be a witness to them. I don't know how good a witness it is or how effective it is, but I'm glad that I can speak life into my family because there's a time when I couldn't. In some sense, I think even if, in some sense, coming to Montana, I'm like, hey, if anything ever happens on the East Coast, they can come here, and I've gone ahead, you know, and they can always come here. But sincerely, you know, with the things that's happening here in my life, what what are that? What's the estimation of that? Where are you in estimation of God's plan? If, if God's given me this dream and this plan and this purpose, this life verse to seek out and these things that I know are to be right and to follow with my whole life, where are you on that path? You might be much closer than you think you are. You might be two steps away from Pharaoh, and yet you're still in chains. you're still a slave, and you don't realize just how close you are to that end goal. And you think about the people who resist the gospel the most, It's been said that they're probably the closest to receiving it because it bothers them the most. They're so close and it hurts them and it bothers them and convicts them so much. And then that's you. Just give up. Surrender. It'll be better for you. It's the best thing for you. Do you think Joseph felt like he was in God's perfect will at this very moment? Do you think it seemed to him that he's closer or further away from his dreams? I'm willing to think that maybe he thought he was further away. Maybe he thought they would never come true. How would they come true now? He's not even near his family. He has no way of getting back to them. He's guarded in his house. How is he going to escape Egypt? He wouldn't need to. God would bring his family to him, to bow down to him. It wasn't his job to get them to come to him. Two verses as we close. Ecclesiastes 3.11 He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work of God. does from the beginning to the end. There's a time when it's going to be beautiful. It might not be right now when you look back, you go, man, that was an amazing thing God did. didn't feel like it at the time, but I see how beautiful it is now. And and the fact that we can't figure out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. God does so much, we never comprehend it. Ah, He knows the hair, every hair in our head. He knows everything about us. How could we comprehend what He's doing with every moment in our lives? I know that if He knows the hairs on your head, He knows where you are and what you're going through. And if He's put you there, He's put you there for a good reason. Even if you're there because of the consequence of sin, you're there for a good reason. And God's allowed you to experience that consequence that you might turn from it and live. Last verse, Philippians one six: Being confident in this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That if you're in the middle of a work God's doing, my friends got this big addition going on top of His house, and then my other friends building a new house that... They both intend on completing it for their families. And if them, like me, being evil, not a good good gift, so does your Father in heaven. that Whatever you're going through, that under construction, you don't know what's going on, there's a leak in the pipe, the house is falling apart, your life is falling apart, that God is going to complete that work. Let him get you through. That your dreams might come true. But sincerely, let him get you through. Father, we ask that you would get us all through the things you've got us in. So we know you've got a perfect end and a perfect plan and a perfect peace. Mm-hmm. We love you and thank you for that. Be with those or our friends who are going through things. Thank you for speaking to them and getting them and promising to get them through and never go before them, behind them, and get, and never leave or forsake them. And God, we pray for those around us who, like Joseph's brothers, are hurting and envious and hateful. And you'd use us to reach them. And they might come to you and be saved in the end. that these men who would hate their brother at the very end come to weep and bow before their brother and have that sweet fellowship again and have their needs met by the one that they hated. We love you, God. We praise you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.